Hey, before we get into this episode today, I just wanted to let you know that we would greatly appreciate if you liked, subscribed, left a review, five stars, five testicles, whatever you want to call them on this podcast. That will help this podcast rank higher in search results so that in the future, anybody who's searching for resources when they've just been diagnosed or have just become a survivor or is a caregiver, they can find this podcast more easily and listen to your stories. Thank you so much. And let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls by the Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. Today I'm joined by Nicholas Goodman, who's a testicular cancer survivor. Nicholas, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure. So you are a testicular cancer survivor, but on your day job, you are a SVP of clinical finance and a paramedic. Tell me about that. Yeah, so... Uh, when I turned 18, um, I became a paramedic and I've worked as a paramedic in my local community for 20 years now. Um, and so I kind of realized about three to four years into that, that that was not going to be the career that I wanted. So I went back to school, got an MBA and then started working on the administration side of healthcare. And I've been doing operations and finance for about the past eight years. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So let's yeah. delve into your testicular cancer story. Take me to the very beginning. Yeah. So let's go right to 2018 uh, when life was normal. Um, in the summer of 2018, sometime in June, um, I had just some discomfort. Things just didn't feel normal to me. Uh, went and saw the doctor. The doctor's like, you know, not really sure what this is. Let's just do an ultrasound. Um, take a look and, and see what we see. So they did an ultrasound in 2018 and found that there was a cyst, but nothing really else to worry about or of concern. Um, took some antibiotics just in case. Um, got better in a couple weeks. Kind of went on about my life. 2019, very similar situation again. Um, he said, well, let's just do another ultrasound to see if there's anything that's changed um, and go from there. And in the ultrasound, they discovered that I had microlithiasis um, in both. And, you know, that was about all that they could determine was there. So my urologist said, hey, let's just watch this for the next three years, see what kind of happens. Um, we'll kind of just go from there. So 2020, um, you know, I work in healthcare as a paramedic. So, you know, COVID rolls around, things get kind of crazy, busy, uncertain. Um, so I scheduled the ultrasound at the one-year mark. Uh, from the prior year, I was perfectly fine. No signs, no symptoms, nothing going on in my life other than I just got to take a day and go get this ultrasound. And this would probably be my third ultrasound. The first two times I had the same tech. Um, and this third time I had a different tech, which was kind of just different. Um, and I went in again, nothing wrong with me, just there for the routine thing. And she took forever. And I was just like, you know, I, this is like my third one. Like, this is normally like a 20 minute thing and we're done. And I've been here for like 35 minutes and I feel like we're not even halfway there. And so I asked her, I said, Hey, like, are you new? How long have you been doing this? And she says, Oh, you know, I've been doing this for about 20 years. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I hear the printer going off in the background, which I'd never heard before. And I was like, Hey, I guess I get some souvenirs today. And she just kind of, you know, said, yeah, if you want to take home some souvenirs, we'll, we'll get you some. And so this is July of 2020, um, July 14th, actually. Um, so I said, well, you know, it's all said and done. I said, well, I guess I'm going to call me in about a week. 
Um, she's like, no, I think somebody will call you today. And I said, okay. And I didn't think anything of it at all. Just left, went on about my day. Um, and later that afternoon around three o'clock, I actually missed the call from my primary care doctor. And, um, I was like, dang, I'll never get a hold of him again. It's five o'clock now. Like, <laughs> what did he want to talk about? Um, it's odd for your doctor to call you personally. So about five thirty, he actually called back and I answered the phone and he said, Hey, you know, the ultrasound today kind of showed some things that are questionable. Um, I think it's probably best if we go ahead and get you to see urology, have them weigh in on what's going on. And I said, okay. Um, and I knew at some point that the uh, path or the, the radio radiology, um, would show up in my online medical record. Um, so I kind of was expecting that knew that would happen. Um, and I guess that was probably about a week later that that showed up. Um, but the urologist office called the next day said, Hey, can you come in tomorrow? And I was like, Oh, tomorrow's not a good day. Like I'm busy. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, like, so I didn't, i still in the back of my mind knew something must be important since the doctor called me, but I still wasn't thinking that there was anything serious going on. Um, and then later that night, I actually got the radiology thing popped up in my chart and I started reading it and seeing all the horrible things that that said. And I was like, Oh crap. So like I called the urologist first thing Monday morning. I'm like, I can be there in five minutes. Like, and they said, well, you know, our next appointment is on, on Wednesday. And I was like, okay, well I'll take it. Um, so in my job, I work with, you know, several hundred physicians. So I have access to, you know, good resources. So I'm like texting this thing out to everybody I can find that I trusted and was like, what are our thoughts? And they're like, yeah, it sounds like you need to see the urologist as soon as you can. Um, I said, okay, sounds great. So saw the urologist on, I got an appointment at a different urologist cause I just couldn't wait till Wednesday. <laughs> so I went to a different urologist on Tuesday and he's like, yeah, like, you know, when you want to go to the OR and I'm like, I don't want to go to OR. Like, what are we talking about here? And so it was a half of a millimeter. So we're not like even large in stature yet when you talk about tumor size, right? Half a millimeter is nothing. Um, and I was like, well, can we just watch it? Is that an option? Like, let's just watch this thing and see what happens. And he's like, well, you can, but I'd rather just take you to the OR like tomorrow if you're not doing anything. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm seeing my regular urologist tomorrow. So I saw him and same story, like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, on Friday and I was kind of like, uh, I don't know. So I kind of hemmed and hawed and on the 31st of July, I actually went through with the surgery um, and had the orchiectomy on the 31st of July and didn't tell anybody, just showed up at the hospital at like 3 PM and just went through it. Wow. So yeah. Um, in your story that you submitted and for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, you can go on the testicular cancer awareness foundation website and submit like Nicholas did to um, be on the podcast. You mentioned, um, you know, pain in your testicle is not always testicular cancer. And that is true. Um, you know, so what made you finally like decide like I should go be seen? Yeah. So this is something I always tell people is to just be very acutely aware of your body, understand your body. And when you feel like something's not right, don't ignore your body. Our bodies do a really good job of telling us something is wrong. If we'll only listen. And, um, I guess just in my career, 
you know, bad things happen to good people all the time. And I see that almost every day that I go to work. And, you know, I knew that I wasn't supposed to have pain. I knew that if I had pain, that it wouldn't last, you know, more than a couple of days and should go away. Um, and the inflammation should for sure go away rather quickly. Um, so let's also kind of talk about risk factors because I think that's important. So I would just turn 36. So I'm just outside the age range, but like, uh, I was inside the age range when I was doing the ultrasounds. Um, so that kind of was one thing that I thought about. The second thing is, is I did have a, um, orchiopexy as a kid. So unassisted testicle that was surgically corrected. So that's another risk factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I could like check the boxes as you go down the risk factor list. Um, and I had just had a, a really close friend go through cancer and she had ignored the signs and symptoms. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to ignore signs and symptoms. I'd rather just go find out, get it over with. Um, and so that's just kind of been my philosophy through this whole thing is, you know, not all things are cancer, not all things are pain, you know, but you do need to be aware of your body. And I knew that something just wasn't right. I just had that feeling that my body's trying to tell me something. And so that's why I went, but immediately when you get it, everybody's like, man, I've got this little pain in my, like they, they think you've become like this golden neurologist that can just like touch them and say, you know, that's what this is or isn't. Um, And that's not the case. And I don't think that if you have pain, that's associated with something else that you have to think that it's cancer. Like, um, but I do think that you have to know your body, you have to know your risk factors and you have to know the signs and the symptoms. And if things align, then you go forward with it. Right. Yeah. That's something like for me now in survivorship, I'm still, you know, not quite five years out, but I feel a little bit of pain. I'm like, Oh, you know, like, is it my, do I have toe cancer now? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you mentioned, I think we're like medical fraternal twins that you get all your bad news in June. Cause that's for me too. And your, my birthday is also in June. Like you said, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you had, so micro say that micro talk about that some more. Cause that's not a word. I Yeah. Heard. Yeah. So, um, in 2019, when I, I got the ultrasound, um, it came back with microlithiasis and I asked the urologist, his name is Dr. Johnson, Atlee Johnson is a great guy. Um, he like pulls up the images and he's like, do you see these little just speckles through the testicle? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, that's what we call microlithiasis. It's just calcium that deposits within the testicles. And I said, okay, so what does that mean? And he's like, having microlithiasis doesn't mean that you will have cancer but having microlithiasis increases your risk of having cancer. And so um, one of those little bitty specks is what eventually turned into the, the cancer. So again, microlithiasis doesn't equal cancer, but you generally have microlithiasis at some point if you get the cancer, so. Interesting, yeah, so you really, so you were, told me, yeah. you really were checking all the boxes. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so that's why it's like, you just got to pay attention. Right. Yeah. Um, so talk about like the feeling, cause you said you had these, you've had multiple ultrasounds. So you were like a professional at getting ultrasounds and you yeah. weren't thinking anything of it. So when, when it finally, you heard the C word, what was that like? Yeah. So, you know, you don't really think about it. Um, 
And, you know, I've been there when we've had to tell patients that they have that. So I've been on the other side of the um, equation and, you know, you don't really think much about it. Um, I'm probably desensitized to a lot of things in life. Um, but, you know, when he called and said, Hey, you know, there's some things that we need to have looked at by the specialist. I still didn't think much about it. And then the ultrasound itself, you know, says, you know, questionable, um, metastatic disease or something along those lines. And you're just like, Oh, like, you, you know what that is, right? I didn't have to Google it. I didn't have to, you know, WebMD, um, my results. I kind of just knew just reading the, the, um, radiology report that, Hey, this is something that's serious. So in the back of my mind, I kind of already knew that. Um, and you know, the physicians that I work with every day kind of had already alluded to the fact that this is highly likely. Um, but you know, when you go in, they don't really tell you, right. They're like, you just have a mass and there's only one way to find out and that's to remove it and send it to pathology. And I'm like, Oh, can't we just like do a needle biopsy or something? Like, isn't there something else we can do? Um, my biggest fear in life has always been surgery. Like I just am not a fan. I've been in the OR and it just, it just is not a comfortable place for me. So I've always been terrified um, of surgery itself. And so that was more scary than like the C word or chemo or anything like the surgery was like my biggest, like mental hurdle to overcome. Um, and so when I went in for the, procedure again I didn't tell anybody I had my cousin's wife go with me because I had to have a driver and she was a nurse and I was like well if something happens then like this is who I want making decisions um so went in for the surgery and I told uh that Dr. Johnson as we went back to do the procedure I was like this better be cancer if I'm going through all of this anxiety and and everything else and I'm going to lose this part of my body it better be for a good reason and um when i woke up you know he's like it's pretty much i think this is what we're dealing with so i think we made the right decision today um so you know in the back of my mind i was fresh out of just dealing with a really close friend you know who went through cancer for five years so you know i've already been in the whole just mental space of taking care of someone trying to understand it knowing that there are things without, outside of our control that we can't, you know, can't manage. And so when I was told that, Hey, you know, for sure you have the cancer. And it's like, okay, all I could think of was what's next. And that was kind of the attitude and mentality I kept through the whole process is okay. So now what, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Um, and I just kind of kept that, that thought press process of, okay, what's tomorrow. And I didn't really think about the long term. I tried not to think about, you know, am I going to die or not die? Like that never really was something I focused on. I really just focused on, okay, what do I need to do to make myself better? And if what I need to do um, isn't going to make me better, then let's not do it. So I just took that mentality of, you know, like what's, what's next. And so that's why I just kept asking every day was what's next. What's tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, one day at a time is all any of us can do, especially when we're going through this diagnosis and treatment. I mean, there's only no point to look past, you know, what can, like you're saying, what can I do right now? Yeah. Talk more about, uh, you said you've been on both sides of, of the coin. So as someone who has given the news, talk more about, like, when the provider 
gave it to you? Is it, you know, did they handle it in a, in a good way, like good bedside manner? How was that? Yeah. So first of all, the physician always would give the news. We're just there to support right in our roles. Um, you know, so you'd be in the room, the physician would tell the patient what was going on. And then you're there to really just help them navigate the next, you know, 30 minutes, make sure, you know, just emotional support for them really. Um, you know, I've known Dr. Johnson my whole career. So, um, I worked in the ED for about 12 years. I worked with him side by side, did procedures with him, you know, so it's kind of different when you have that relationship. So I think that that's probably unique and different. Um, and other people probably wouldn't probably get the same approach that I received. Um, I think that I put myself in a position to be ready for the news as well. And, you know, I was just very clear, like, you know, whatever this is, we're just going to deal with it. And I think that I was treated that way from their perspective. Right. So, you know, I have always been a fan of just tell me the data, like just let me know what's going on. And so I didn't really need a lot of like of that, what we would call sloth, if you will. Like, let's just go straight to the, the data points. Let's just understand exactly what we're dealing with and, and kind of go from there. So I think that being on both sides, I respected just, just tell me how it is and let's just figure it out. Right. And give me like good concrete data I could tell that it was completely different when I went to um, the specialty oncologist at the larger center in Charlotte, um, Dr. Merriman. He was, you know, never met him, didn't know him. So it was a completely different patient relationship because it was very much, okay, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Here's, here's what I know. Here's what you need to know versus, when I'm in an environment where I know people professionally, it was kind of like, you know, here's what we're dealing with kind of thing. So I think that that's really the difference. Kind of going down a different route, just because of your um, job, you said you're there for 30, like the next 30 minutes kind of supporting people. Yeah. So when somebody has just been given the news and then somebody like you walks in, what kind of questions should they be asking you? What kinds of things are they talking about with you? Yeah. So in emergency medicine, which is where I'm at, everything we find is typically, typically incidental, right? You weren't looking for it. You just happen to do that head CT. You happen to do the chest X-ray and these things pop up. Um, and so the physician has to go in and make a decision. Do I say anything or do I just refer them to, you know, a specialist and not say anything like if it's like a for sure deal, generally they'll just go ahead and tell them what they see. Um, if it's kind of questionable, sometimes they won't. They'll just make them follow up because you don't want to ever, ever give someone the wrong data, right? And so, you know, you walk in a room, someone's just had a chest X-ray. They find that they have some kind of questionable things on the chest X-ray that look pretty consistent with, you know, a form of a cancer. And the physician basically explains to them, hey, you know, we did a chest X-ray. We found something that looks like acts like something similar to cancer. We don't know what it is. Someone will have to investigate that for you, but this, this is kind of what we see. So then, you know, enters nursing team and resources and the patients generally are first of all in shock because that's not what they were expecting. These patients are typically otherwise healthy. Um, and so, you know, you're there to just kind of support them. The questions that they typically ask are, you know, that whole, okay, so now what do I do? Am I going home? Am I not going home? 
who do I call? What do I need to do? And really, you know, our job is to say, okay, you know, like you need to just take this one step at a time. I'm going to make sure that we can get you into an appointment. Do you have a preference on who you would like to see? Is there anyone I can call for you? Um, a lot of people don't go through the hysteria and the crying and everything right away. It's still kind of just very, you know, like the shock is still there and they kind of haven't quite processed it. Um, a lot of what we do is really just make sure that we understand where they're at. You know, do you have someone at home with you? Are you going to be safe when you go home? Is there someone you can talk to? That's really what we're focused on is when they leave, where are they going and who's going to be with them? Because you don't want to send somebody home by themselves in that environment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, let's get back to your story. Do you know what your pathology ended up coming back as? A hundred percent embryonal carcinoma. Wow. Okay. So yep. it, it was, was it contained to the testicle? Um, I had LBI. Okay. So yeah, I was one B with LBI. So did it, did you do any chemo? Yes. So I did, um, one cycle of BEP chemo, um, which, you know, I think everybody is different. Everybody's pathology is different. Um, you know, they give you the, the guidelines basically, right? These are the Institute of Health guidelines. And when you have that embryonal carcinoma component and you have LVI, like you fall into this category and you have three options, right? Surgery, obviously you must have got to do that. No getting around it. Then there's the RPLD, which is still kind of like, do you do or do you not do it? Um, I'd already had the CT scans and nothing had showed up on the CT scans. My tumor marker was uh, normal. My um, hormone levels were normal. Like everything in my blood work was spot on. Nothing was showing up. The CT didn't show anything. So I was like, well, we're not doing that because he wants to go through that. And, um, and then it was the conversation of, you know, do chemo prophylactively basically. Um, reduce your risk of reoccurrence down to like, you know, less than 10%. Do two cycles, go down to maybe 5% um, or do nothing and be like a 50-50. And I'm not lucky at all with anything in life. So if we're going to flip a coin, I'm always going to get the the bad side of the deal. So um, I was really concerned as to what to do, what decision to make. Um, So I, reached out to people to try to find who could I talk to that could help me with this decision, right? I need more information. So I reached out to a couple people who had had it earlier in life that I knew um, and asked them kind of like, what was your pathology? You know, what did you do? What did you not do? Um, and then our, our health system has nurse navigators that specialize in oncology, right? So their only job is to help cancer patients navigate this, this world. Right. And so I called and talked to her and said, Hey, I I would really like to talk to somebody else who's recently gone through this and kind of get their opinion. So I had was uh, connected with somebody from Charlotte who had gone through it about a year before, um, and had talked to him, same pathology, um, I want to say that his blood work was completely normal. His CT was normal. He opted to do like the RPLD. Um, I, I did not do that. Didn't feel like it was necessary, but he did it. And he said, you know, I'm grateful that I did it because they found it in some of the nodes that they removed. And, you know, my oncologist was like, 
you know, I'd rather it show up so we know what we're looking for than just go exploring, you know, nobody likes Dora showing up at the OR table. Right. Um, so I did not do it. I talked to him, kind of got a good feeling that, you know, what, we're going to go through the, the chemo, uh, we're going to do this and this is where we're going to be. And got the, that's when I met with the specialty oncologist to make sure that he agreed and he agreed that we start with chemo and we go from there. Um, and then we started down the process of the chemo and I did that, started that September 7th, so six weeks later, that was the earliest that they would let me do it. Um, and I was like, let's just get it over with. Let's just, you know, I got, I got things to do, so let's get this done. (laughs) Um, I think the interesting part of all of this is we're only three to four months into COVID when this started. So, you know, I'm working, I'm around these patients still, you know, nobody wants to see you when you're around the patients, right? So everybody kind of like treats like you've got the plague. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think it was kind of, I feel like I was cheated a little bit through the process because people couldn't really come and support you because nobody could go anywhere. Nobody could do anything. Um, you know, you kind of, you kind of laugh when you walk into the, the oncology center and they're like, do you have a, a, a loss of taste or smell? Well, yeah, I haven't tasted anything for weeks. And you know, how do you feel? I feel like crap. Like, and it's yeah. just like, why are you even asking these questions? Cause I'm going to say yes to all of them. Um, so, you know, I did that. I, I thought that it was a good experience. Um, we had a brand new cancer center. It had been open like a week, maybe. Um, so still trying to get the little kinks worked out. Um, but, you know, all in all, it wasn't a terrible experience. I don't think that anybody should be scared of it or worry. Um, I think that when, when you're told this, you just want more information. And me specifically, I want to know exactly what's going to happen. I need you to tell me what's going to happen on day one, day two. Like, I need, like, the play-by-play. And everyone's response was, well, it's different for everyone. And I hated that response because I just wanted to know, like, what exactly is going to happen because I felt like I could prepare. Um, But the unknown was, like, super scary for me, right? Yeah. And looking back, I can say that it was all time-durated. It was over within about six weeks. It wasn't fun, but you can get through it. So that's what I tell people now is you can get through it. It's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Did you have any notable (laughs) events that, you know, you might point out during chemo that other people might experience so they can kind of know what to expect? Yeah. So I blogged about all of this every day. I would go in and say, this is exactly what happened. Um, So Anybody can go and look at that. It's out there for the world. Um, so I did uh, all three. I did the BP. Um, we were questionable on the, on the bleo just because there's still a lot of, you know, do we give it or do we not give it? Is it worth it? Um, I think that's probably the hardest drug that I got. I mean, the cisplatin was no fun. But the bleo really, really um, did a number on my ability to just kind of like not feel like I'm going to be out of breath you know, for about the first six months. Um, so, you know, things that I, I experienced that I didn't expect, um, were hiccups and heartburn. It was the worst. And at first I didn't realize that it was the side effect. I just remember day two or day three waking up with just this horrible heartburn. 
like, and I don't get heartburn. And I was like, I don't know what's going on with me. I couldn't drink enough. I couldn't sleep. And then the hiccup started and they just did not let up. And they were like legit hiccups. Like you're, you're not going to not notice them. Um, so I guess you, you had the same thing. Yeah. It was like my second or third day. I just did EP, but, um, yeah, my second or third day I was at Chick-fil-A with my parents and, um, and just started getting hiccups and I was like, what the heck is this? Um, so I took some of the anti-nausea medicine and that didn't seem to work. Maybe it was taking some time to take effect. And then I was like looking up home remedies and I found one that was like, take a cup of water and like drink from the far side. So it looks stupid, but I did that and it seemed to work. So, but yeah, hiccups were crazy. Yeah. So I'm told that it's a side effect of all of the, um, steroids that you get. And so when I went in the next day, they're like, how, how are things going? I'm like, well, I've had these hiccups and you won't believe it, but they've stopped like the last five minutes. And then they started again. And, um, I was like, they're just exhausting because they just don't stop. And then they got to the point where they were so bad. I was like starting to get sick and they're like, we don't want you getting sick. So they gave me some medicine. Um, I want to say Boclofen maybe was what they gave me. And it got rid of the hiccups. Like I didn't know there was a medicine for it, but there is. Um, so the hiccups were interesting. Um, that Friday, I had a lot of fluid retention. Um, I want to say like 20 pounds of fluid retention that happened pretty much overnight. Oh my gosh. Um, so that was no fun. So I pretty much spent the next day um, kind of just trying to get all that fluid off, um, which I did. Was that just um, it's like a, peeing it out or what? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just kicked my kidneys into high gear and there was no, um, there's no bathroom in the room there where you get chemo. So I was like back and forth. I was like, can we just move me to the bathroom at this point? Because (laughs) I'm just exhausted carrying this weight first of all. And then just like peeing for days. It felt like, um, but other than that, everything was pretty much on course. Nothing surprising. Um, they did make sure I didn't have a PE because the bleo can cause a PE. Um, so they were making sure that the fluid wasn't from that. Um, but other than that, you know, it was pretty straightforward, nothing out of the ordinary. I didn't lose my hair to probably a week to two weeks after, um, I finished, which was, you know, I, I always thought like you would lay it, you'd be sitting there and they would start putting this stuff in your IV and then you would just instantly feel like something was wrong totally not the case right such a myth that you know it was probably four or five days before i even really felt it Mm -hmm. um and i I think that you know i was a little disappointed that my hair didn't fall out like instantly because that's kind of like can we just get this over with um but then about a week i think after i finished is when it just started like it 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 almost hurt to just stay in my head like i just wanted it all out yeah. So like I aggressively just got rid of it because it felt, it felt a lot better to not have it in my head. I don't know if you're so. talking about like mentally hurt or physically, but I know that mine like physically hurt. It was like, yeah, the hairs were there, but they weren't like rooted, you know? So it was just like a bunch yeah. of like porcupines, you know? Yeah. It didn't feel like your hair and it just didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. It was physical for me, not mental. Yeah. So, so you're about what, like a year and a half out now, or are we coming up on two years? Yeah. So 18 months 
I go today is when I finish the chemo. So I'm 18 months out. I just had my um, three month oncology appointment on Friday. Um, so I've got one more at the three month mark and then I'll be switching to the six months. I'll do my CT and chest X-ray in three months and then I'll start into year number third, year number three. Awesome. So, yeah. Congratulations. How is, um, you know, in those last 18 months, has your life changed at all? Like your outlook on life? I mean, tell me about that. Yeah. So I think that your, well, what you think is important in life changes. So, you know, most of my life, if I haven't worked 80 to hundred hours a week, mm. it just wasn't a normal week for me. I've always been the type of person that just goes to work, stays busy. You know, I don't really take a lot of time for myself, but I think, once you find out that this is like a reality for you, it puts things into perspective. And, you know, I mean, you could have a stroke, you could have a heart attack. There's lots of things that could happen to you that will change your baseline health status. And I think that you think you're, it'll never happen to you. And so when something like this does happen to you, you start thinking what's really important in life and working 80 to hundred hours a week isn't worth it anymore. So I think I've changed my lifestyle and just been more about self-care, understanding that, you know, taking care of yourself is important, enjoying life is important because, you know, before long it'll be over. So we need to take time to enjoy it. Um, so that's kind of what's changed for me in the last 18 months. Yeah. My doctors <clears throat> told me when I was going through chemo to stick to routine as much as possible because that would help kind of make things feel normal. Were you working 80 to 100 hours a week? During treatment? No. So I actually went, so <clears throat> when I found out that I had it, I kind of stopped working as a paramedic because I was like, don't have time for that right now. Like um, that is a second job. So let me focus on my primary job mm -hmm. and COVID still going on, right? So there's so many things going around COVID. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know how it's really responding or reacting or how risk, um, so as that was going on, I was like, well, the last thing I need to do is get COVID through all of this. Yeah. So I kind of just reduced my exposure um, and did not work as a paramedic. Um, I did not go back to working as a paramedic till probably February of that year. And then I just worked at a vaccine clinic for six months, probably just passing out vaccines um, because I, we just didn't know. Um, and nobody really knew. Um, so, you know, again, I feel like I got cheated because I had like amazing friends who are like, Oh, I'll fly out and take you to chemo one day. And I'm like, well, you can't go in and you got to quarantine for two weeks before you can see me. And like, yeah. it just doesn't work. Um, so if you, if you looked at my blog, you'll see the people who would come and like stand outside the window and just like had signs for me pouring down rain. They had signs for me. Like every day somebody would come and just stand outside the window and just show support because that's really all that you could do. Um, so I, I think that, you know, once chemo finished, um, I still was scared to go back cause we just really, you know, your, your counts are still dropping. You're still trying to rebound and rebuild. So the last thing you want to do is get some unknown virus that could potentially like, in your life. So I kind of stayed away from it as much as possible. So through treatment, we had already transitioned to working from home. So I worked from 
the oncology center for probably the first three days. And then the next five days, I did not work at all. And then I went back to working after that. I think day seven to 11 were the worst. Um, and then after that, I went back to working. So I was really only out of work 40 hours and I was only working eight hours a day from home anyway. So I never really stopped working um, except for that one week. Jeez, he's like Superman. <laughs> well, <laughs> you just got to keep your mind like um, you can't let it become your life, right? It just has to be a part of your life. Um, I did get a pick line, so I recommend pick lines for anybody who's got to go through that. Um, I, I just was not a fan of getting stuck every day. So I did get a pick line, um, and I think that made everything a whole lot easier um, because you just walk in and they just have direct access and there's not, there was no, no fuss or bust about any of it. So, um, I think that helped me feel better every day too, because there's literally nothing that was stopping me from, you know, work on the computer all day. Right. I didn't have to worry about wires and things like everything was coming right out of my armpit basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so it didn't really, you know, keep me from doing anything I wanted to do. Awesome. COVID was more of a hinder than chemo. Yeah. I had a port. Mine's hanging right here. I don't know if you can see it. It kind of blends in with the wall a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, tell me more about the cancer center, um, you know, in COVID. I know for mine, I was before COVID, and I had I was the youngest one in there by far, but I had all these old guys and old women sitting next to me, and they were always chatty. So, I mean, you know, you had, your guests had to stay on the outside where you, you're six feet from everybody, I assume. and Yeah, so this is a brand-new cancer center that had just been built. Um, I serve on a committee at the hospital and they told us probably in 2018 that they were going to build this new cancer center and get, you know, all these fancy radiological things. And um, I can't remember what it's called now, but, um, and as I'm sitting in that meeting, I'm thinking, why do we need a cancer center? Like, does that mean, do that many people need this new big building? Cause we had one um, already. So um, basically moved them into a new building and made this really, you know, state-of-the-art facility. So it's, it's pods. So I think each pod has 10 rooms and they're actual legit rooms. Um, and so I was in room number five um, every day. Um, so you, you try to keep your same room just for, you know, disease prevention, I guess, infection control type stuff. Um, there were not a lot of people in there. Um, you don't really get to see them because, you go in and you go straight to your room and then your door is closed the whole time. Um, I, it was, um, the best recliner I think I've ever set into my life. <laughs> like if I could buy that thing and bring it home, I would. Um, but it's interesting because a dear friend of mine, who's a nurse, we had worked together at some free clinics for a couple of years. And that's how we knew each other was just through free clinics. It's not really outside of that. Um, and I always seem to bump into her random places. Um, but one day I went in and she was in the room, like, um, across, across the desk from me. And I was like, you know, why is she here today? And so, um, I told her, I was like, Hey, tell her that I'm here. Like, make sure she knows I'm here. I'd love to talk to her. Um, so, you know, I was the same age. We're, we're both at the same age. So it was really interesting for us both to be there at the same time. Um, but of course they, they let the patients themselves mingle with each other. But outside of that, like 
no family, no friends, like drop you off in the morning, come back and pick you up in the evening. Um, it was not, you want to see me, you got to come to the window. Like that's the extent of what I I'll be able to have right now. So, and it was more so just for everyone else's precaution than your own. Um, I moved in my 85 year old grandmother because I'm single. So I, I live by myself. So I moved in my 85 year old grandmother. I was like, someone needs to be here. That's not going to be out and about and potentially bring COVID into the house. Yeah. So who better than grandma? Right. <laughs> so I was like, she can always call nine one if something happens. And she had meals cooked for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, eating was really, really hard for me. I didn't want to eat anything. Um, Pedialyte is the worst thing in the world. Like, um, the nutritionist was like, just eat butter. Like, I just need you to get calories in. Like, whatever you do, like, you eat toast covered in butter. Like, I need you to get calories in because you're, you're losing weight too quickly through this process. And I was like, I just don't want to eat anything. Like, not even a milkshake. And then baked potatoes became, like, my go-to. That was the one thing I could eat that didn't bother me was chicken and rice and baked potatoes. <laughs> All right, so talking about uh, friends and family, I know before your orchiectomy, you didn't tell anybody except for your cousin's wife. When did kind of you let everybody in on what was going on? Yeah, so um, I guess I don't really remember the extent of telling everyone, but I remember after having the surgery, I had my cousin drive me to my grandmother's house. Um, and, you know, I sat down and she's like, how did your surgery go today? Or how are you? And I was like, well, I just got done with surgery. Um, and they're like, she's like, you just had surgery. And I'm like, yeah. And I just chalked it up because I didn't want her to really worry um, because um, she just is a, a warrior by nature. She had a son die of cancer. So like, I just did not want her to just associate everything together. So I had told her that it was just an infection that they had to surgically clear out and left it at that. And I pretty much started telling the family, um, it took about a week to get the pathology back. And I had already started telling the family that I was close to at that point, like, Hey, they think this is cancer. You know, here's potentially what's going to happen. It was like chemo's in the, in the cards. Um, and then once you tell about one or two people, you know, in the South, everybody knows. And, you know, the neighbor down the street is bringing you a get well basket. So I just kind of told one or two people and that was really all I had to tell. And then I just kind of on a zoom call at work one day was like, Hey guys, like the next three weeks, I'm kind of going to be hit or miss. And here's why. And, um, that was kind of really it. I didn't make a big deal about it. Cause, um, I've learned that there's always someone else that's going through something worse than you are. Mm -hmm. And you should never assume that your day is the worst day. Um, and, you know, there were people at work who were either going through chemo or had just finished chemo who would like call and say, Hey, I'm right there with you. And so I don't think we realize how many people are affected by things and never go into the situation thinking that you're like the worst. Right. Um, they sent me to a um, support group that was the worst experience of my life. Hmm. Um, they put me into a support group based on age. So everyone was in their thirties and had some form of cancer and like everyone's introducing themselves. And, you know, the first person's like, you know, I've got this really rare 
you know, you know, bile duct cancer and like just horrible, like horrible stuff these people have to go through. And you're, and they come to you and you're like, well, I just have testicular cancer. Like I just got to go through some chemo. And that's not to say that what we go through is like not bad or not hard, but I mean, some of these people were like knocking on death's door and just really struggling to get through. So I think it's just a testament to like good research, early prevention, knowing your body can keep you from being in that scenario because there's people with testicular cancer that are way worse, right. That are just struggling every day and Mm -hmm. they're like trying experimental things, but they've, their pathology has gotten so far down the, the spectrum that it's just so hard at that point to fight a germ cell cancer. And so I think that's why, like my whole thing is like, just know your body. Don't be scared to ask questions. Doctors are not embarrassed. You're the only one in the room that feels uncomfortable. They play with people's balls all day long. Like (laughs) it's not a big deal for them. Right. It's just another pair. Yeah. So, um, just like, don't hold back because I think when you hold back, you end up, like way far worse than you, you you needed to be. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a great support system, even though they could only be there in a limited capacity. Um, so I know you've had some side effects you mentioned in your submission. Talk about that. Yeah. The side effects. Well, first of all, um, I have allergies. I've never had allergies before in my entire life. I don't know if that's new or not new mm. for other people, but, I mean, I've never had to take a daily allergy pill, but if I don't take it, it's the worst. Um, my hormone levels have now not been normal, um, ever since, um, the, the surgery really. So I've been now working on hormone, uh, replacement, which is not typical, but for me, it's become just my norm. Um, the bleo has probably been the worst and I've never been like a huge, like gym buff, like lift weights, like, but I have always enjoyed just good cardio, like just getting out and going for a good walk or taking the dog or, you know, doing something that's of some cardiovascular stress. And even with my job, just the stress of, of it. And I have found that I get so short of breath so quick now. Um, and that's a hundred percent the bleo. And it has gotten better. It has greatly improved. I would probably say about eight to nine months after. And I started feeling better, but I really had to just start pushing myself and forcing my body to just adapt to it. Um, So that's been kind of an unintended consequence. Um, But that's pretty much the major things that I've I've gone through or suffered. Um, Hair came back, you know, didn't have any problems with that. It's never been curly before, but it's nice and curly now. So <laughs> you just have to rock it. Um, but yeah, other than that, things haven't been too bad. Like I would do it again if I had to. Um, yeah. It's just. <clears throat> That's great. Um, you've kind of touched a lot on advice as far as like one day at a time and, you know, know your body. But if you had to give a piece of advice to somebody who's just starting down this road, what would it be? Yeah. So I would say, um, stay off Google. Um, it's not going to help you. Um, find a friend, someone that you can talk to that's been through it. Ask them the questions that are important and realize that your 
situation and pathology is not necessarily the same as theirs. So just because they had to go through something doesn't mean that you will. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing I would say is just really focus on what's important and don't get hung up on the details because the details I think are where you can get lost. And by that, I mean, just the side effects of everything. Like when you go through chemo and they give you like the, the ream of paper on all the things that potentially might happen to you as a result, like don't focus on that stuff. Just focus on the bigger picture. Like everything has an unintended consequence at some point in life, but the benefit far outweighs the risk. Awesome. That's great advice. Hey, Nicholas, thank you so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. For more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit testicularcancerawarenessfoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at Testis Cancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.